for Psalms 57 this evening. And I'd like to read the first verse. We'll read it a couple times and then pray. Word of God says, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me. For my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Let's read that once more. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me. For my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Father, I pray that over these next few moments you'd bless the preaching of your word, that you'd speak to my heart, Lord, first and foremost. And Lord, that through the speaking of my heart, you might speak to others' hearts. And Lord, that you might just accomplish your perfect will in our lives tonight. Lord, we love you and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, this is just one verse out of the 57th Psalm. You'll, you'll get blessed and helped out of reading the rest of the 57th Psalm. But as we examine this one verse, I'm encouraged to know that at a dark time in David's life, he had a clear vision and direction of what to do to overcome the difficulties that he was facing. You know, a lot of times, and if you're like me, you know, there's times when things are going sideways, and you waste a lot of time just figuring out what direction to go and what to do. It would help us in a time of trouble to know immediately what we need to do. And I believe there are four things in this passage that you and I should do when things are tough, when things are difficult. And, you know, sometimes when we think of things being difficult, we think of big difficulty. You know, we think of large things. And it's true that the Word of God has the, the prescription of what to do when things are going bad in a big way. But I think most of the time in our lives, I hope this is true for your life, I know it is for mine, my life is not populated with mountains of large difficulties, but it seems that the roadway is dotted with uh, miniature difficulties, small difficulties, day in, day out. And I think sometimes because we don't preach about those things, oftentimes we find it less applicable. We're thinking about big things in our life. But the truth is, oftentimes it's the small things, day in and day out, that can drive us to big troubles and big problems. Now, I want you to notice, before this verse even begins, there's a little title to this psalm, and I believe we can trust this. It says, To the chief musician, Altashith, mictum of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Now, that gives us a pinpoint as to when this took place, when David was writing this particular psalm. And it's especially instructive to know that David, he's being hunted, He's being pursued. He's being persecuted. And you can read about it in 1 Samuel 22. He has fled to the caves to get away from Saul, who's seeking to take his life. And it's a blessing to me to know that whenever the Holy Ghost pressed on David to put pen to paper, it was in a, a dimly lit cave, probably by candlelight. It was not in the limelight of life's pleasurable times, but it was in the darkness of its difficult times that David was able to say this, the Lord is enough, and if I'll just turn to Him, I can find the strength that I need. Now, there's a lot of ways the Lord helps us, amen? I mean, I'm glad the Lord gives us people that help us, and uh, the Lord gives us various uh, instruments in society that help us and encourage us. I, I, I'm glad the Lord, I, I've got a library at home or an office at home that's got hundreds of books in it, and they're a help to me. But it's important for us to understand that the first place we ought to go, and if there's only one place we can go, this ought to be the only place that we can go, is going to the Lord and the Word of God. 
He is enough during difficult times. Uh, you know, one of the things I think that gets me thinking about difficult times on Wednesday nights so often, it seems like we disproportionately preach about it on Wednesday nights, is I think because it's prayer request night, you know. We spend a good chunk of time just talking about folks whose life is in pieces. I was thinking about uh, Gay Ann and, and Bo when when I got the call and I was preparing this message. And I thought, man, you know, on Tuesday morning, everything was fine. And now here we are on Wednesday night and the world has been shaken and it's been rocked. You might be sitting here and everything be fine on a Wednesday night. And it could be by Thursday night your world is in peace. And so we need to know what to do and where to go. And there's a lot of things in this psalm, but just in this first verse, we have four things that we ought to do when we find ourselves in a cave experience. I jotted down a few things about being in a cave. And by the way, it's interesting, that, that phrase, that word altashith, it literally means destroy not. And what, the, what David is asking God to do, he's titled this, this is a psalm of not being destroyed. Everything's gone wrong, but I'm trusting God that he's going to make everything all right. Everything has gone sideways, but I'm trusting God that He's going to straighten things out. Mictum, of course, means prayer. And so in the midst of a difficult time, He's put His faith in God. Now, I want you to think about three things just real quick about a cave that I believe might help get us in the right mindset for this preaching. Let me say, number one, that a cave is a dark place. I remember uh, years ago, uh, one of the places before me and my wife was ever married, and, and uh, we, we like road trips, we like going adventuring and stuff, and uh, I remember one time we spent probably an hour driving around through East Knoxville because some uh, big old pile of tires had caught on fire, and we was curious what the smoke was, you know. And we like that. We like to get out and adventure and drive around. And uh, One of the first dates that, uh, that I remember me and my wife going on that was really an official date was I took her down to the Lost Sea in, in Sweetwater. It was a day trip. Don't y'all get wagging tongues now. And uh, it was a day trip, though. And, and we went down there, and we went down to see the Lost Sea. I'm sure most of the people probably in this room have been down and seen it. I did not know at the time that my wife was just a little bit claustrophobic and uh, deathly afraid of that mountain just falling in on us. But she was a good sport and she played along. But when you're going down through the Lost Sea, you come to a place, you get really just about to the lowest point on the tour, and they turn all the lights off. And there's no lights on. It is total and absolute darkness. It is darkness that can be felt. It is a type of darkness that you really only find in the bottom of a cave. And, you know, it got me thinking about what David is experiencing at this time. He is in a dark place. And, of course, when you go down into the Lost Sea, they've got wires and lighting run all through there. He might have had a little candle or a torch that he was experiencing and, and seeing this cave through, that he was writing this psalm by. But by and large, he is in a very, very dark place. You know, sometimes the things we experience, it's not an outward darkness, it's an inward darkness. Depression and, and discouragement and frustration. Uh, David didn't ask for his life to be this way. David didn't run to the cave because the cave is where he wanted to be. He ran to the cave because he was chased to the cave. And you know, sometimes when we're discouraged, we didn't ask to feel that way. We didn't ask to be this way. And we didn't ask for things to turn out this way. And we find ourselves in a place where the, the feeling of, of sadness and discouragement and downtroddenness is literally so intense that it can be felt. It's like it's pushing down upon us in the same way that darkness could be felt at the lost sea in the bottom of the cave. So uh, before we move on, let's just point out that if you're in a dark place, I believe the Lord can give you some help. 
Let me say number two, not only is a cave a dark place, but typically speaking, a cave is a deserted place. Uh, Most of the time, folks didn't just hang out in caves. (laughs) There was only really two reasons in the Bible that you ever found a person in in a cave. There's either chased there. The Bible talks about that there will come a day during the tribulation period that uh, people will flee to the caves and they'll cry for the rocks in the caves to hide them and to give them refuge. Uh, People are in a cave because they've been chased there. Or sometimes madness drives a person to a cave. We find that in the story about the demoniac. In other words, a cave is not a real social scene. A cave is a place where a man goes to be sheltered and to be alone, and he finds himself alone when he's in the midst of a cave. Let me say to you tonight that sometimes it is a a feeling and sense of loneliness that causes us to experience that darkness and discouragement. Oftentimes, one of the most difficult things about what we're going through is that we feel like nobody else understands what we're going through. And I've pastored long enough to know this, that just because you tell people you know how they feel, a lot of times that doesn't really change their situation and circumstance. A lot of times it's not a logical thing, it's a spiritual thing, and it's an emotional thing. That sense that nobody really knows quite what you're going through. Now, we know Jesus does, we understand that. But again, when the flesh is operating, the flesh, the world wants us to think that to operate in the flesh is a logical thing. Right, that the human way of thinking is logical. And there is a sense in which the human mind can be logical. There is a sense in which the flesh does crave that which is logical. But make no mistake about it, uh, the flesh is not going to wait until your circumstances are terrible to make you feel like things are terrible. If the flesh has to go contrary to that which is logical to oppress and persecute you, it will. And sometimes it's beyond what we understand and beyond what we can we can fathom and beyond what we can explain to other people, sometimes it's just a sense of loneliness that nobody really understands or knows what we're going through. Let me say, number three, that a cave is a detaining place. Now, typically speaking, that's true, some caves lead to various places, but by and large, when a person goes into a cave, there's only one way they're going to come out of it, and that's the way that they came in. Uh, You know, oftentimes, when we're going through this situation, whatever it might be, We're going to have to turn around and face it before we're ever going to come out of it. We can't just run from it and hide from it forever. We've got to deal with it. And oftentimes, I think a cave experience would be a very, and my wife would agree with this from our time at the Lost Sea, it's a very closed in and restrictive feeling to know that you've got hundreds of feet of rock all around you and there's nowhere to go and there's nowhere to run. You know, sometimes that's the most discouraging thing. I told you when we began that I usually waste a good amount of time just trying to figure out what to do. Amen. Uh, when things go sideways, when I'm discouraged or something's gone wrong or I'm in the midst of affliction and difficulty, I waste a lot of time just sitting there wallowing like Job did. I sit down in the ash pile and, and just sit there for about seven days trying to figure out where to go and what to do. Oftentimes that is the sense and the experience that we go through. It's a detaining Place, But the psalmist presents to us four things that we can do. And these four things are four things that every one of us... Listen, if you're going through a big problem, these are going to help you tonight. If you're going through a small problem, this is going to help you tonight. If you're going through something that to other people looks like a small problem, but to you it feels like a big problem... This is going to help you tonight. I want you to notice them just very quickly, and then we'll close. Let me say that the first thing we see David does when he's in the midst of this situation, we see a call to prayer. What does he do? 
Now, the, the word mikjum, as we already mentioned, it means prayer. And this whole psalm is a prayer. But it's almost like there's a prayer within a prayer because he be, begins by, by imploring God. And he says this, Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me. Let me say the first thing we do when we're experiencing this is we ought to pray. We ought to pray. I know that seems simplistic and elementary and reductionist, but, but it's the truth. And oftentimes, that's the very last thing we feel like doing. I don't know why it is. I guess it's just the flesh knows he has his, his teeth in you, and he's trying to do everything he can do to keep you in that situation. But isn't it funny how when things are so bad, there's such a strong urge to not take that to the Lord and pray and ask God to intervene. We've got to fight against that, and we've got to do what we know is the right thing to do. Whether we feel like it or not, we've got to pray. You know, it's ironic to me, if, if we're thinking from a logical standpoint, wouldn't you imagine that when he's in this cave and he's got a mountain sitting above him, that it would be very hard to pray and believe God is hearing anything you're saying? I mean, I understand there's some symbolism, there's some metaphor there, but I think it's indicative of how we feel. We just feel like God is so distant from our sufferings. Sometimes it's hard to break our will and force ourselves to our knees and to pray and to ask God to intervene. But listen, child of God, you must do that. You must do that. You're probably not going to feel like praying. That's okay. Pray anyway. You're probably not going to feel like you're getting through. That's okay. Pray anyway. I think it's interesting what he says. He says it twice. You know, uh, you, you think about the lengths to which God went to give us our Bible and God is so interested in David praying that he has David write it down twice. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me. It's almost as though the first time he didn't feel nothing on it, so he just went ahead and prayed it a second time. Uh, you say, preacher, sometimes when I pray, I don't feel like I'm getting through. Well, prayer's not about feeling, it's about faith anyway. And I like it when I feel like I've gotten through to God. I mean, I, I'm not dismissing that. There's times I feel like I've really grabbed hold of the horns of the altar. I've really connected with God. And then there's sometimes I feel almost like David must have, like there's a mountain between me and God. I understand that sensation. I understand that sentiment. But at the end of the day, it's not about how we feel. It's about believing that God hears and answers prayer and trusting Him. Now, if you need examples of, uh, of the fact that God hears and answers prayer, you've come to a pretty good place now because you've heard several people tell you that God hears and answers prayer, things this week that God has done. But if you're like me, that's probably not what it's about anyway. It's probably more a, 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 an urging, and, and we might call it a hunch, but I'd be more tempted to say it's an affliction of the flesh that we don't want to pray when times get difficult. But we've got to pray. What else are we going to do? Most of the time, you see, if David could have straightened his situation out, he probably would have done it. But instead, he was driven to the cave. And most of the time, if we had a clear way out, we would take it. But we don't. And so, and I almost hate to say it this way, because it almost seems like I'm de-emphasizing prayer and I'm not. But what are we going to do anyway? We might as well pray. Prayer is the first thing. Don't ever let the devil tell you that prayer is your second option. That's not to say that you can't pray after you've messed up, made mistakes. You can. But prayer ought to always be our first option, our first course, our first recourse that we take, the first thing we do. You've heard me complain about this. And if there's ever a good time to complain, it's on a Wednesday night, isn't it? <laughs> 
you've heard me complain about this before, but I, I've seen this on church signs a hundred times if I've seen it once. People say, when nothing else works, pray. Man, that drives me crazy. Let me tell you something. I, I believe in free speech. Amen? I am anti-government regulation. But if President Trump wanted to set forth a regulatory body that kept people from putting stupid things on their church signs, he'd probably have my vote for that. Because I just, you know, it just drives me crazy. And you'll see, see people say it all the time. Hey, when nothing else works, pray. No! Before you try anything else, pray. Pray first. Don't go running after 70 different avenues of, of action that may or may not work. Go to the thing you know will work, which is prayer. Prayer. We see a call to prayer. Let me say it number two. We see a confident patience. He says, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Now, this is interesting, and I'll tell you why. Because there's something to be said for stating a truth. I don't really think David is trying to convince God, because God already knows. I think David's saying it just to persecute his flesh, that my soul trusteth in thee. There's times it's good just to remind ourselves of the situation and of the score. And he notes the fact that he's praying to God because he has a God that he can trust in, and that he has made his mind up that he's going to depend on the Lord. You'd find this pattern in David's life over and over again. On several occasions, I believe three if my memory serves me correctly, David had the opportunity to kill Saul, but he chose to not do it. And there's various reasons, but I think ultimately one of the reasons was this. He had committed himself that he was going to trust God and place this in God's hands and not try to take it into his own. You know, oftentimes we start trying to figure a way out of the cave we found ourselves in. And, and I, I want to be careful with what I'm about to say, because God does expect us to take action in as much as He leads us to do so. But there's a difference between walking through a door God has opened and trying to cut a door out of a situation God has placed you in. There's times we just have to trust God and commit it unto Him. Uh, David is saying, I could trust in a lot of things. And by the way, you know, it was after this... And we know this because David talks about how he is by, is by himself. He talks about how he is alone. And later on, if you read in, in Psalm, uh, 1 Samuel 22, God began to gather people to David's side that would help David. In fact, it's interesting. It sounds like Baptist church because it talks about all the people that are outcasts and discontented and everything. And uh, I felt like that as a pastor. We'll take all we can get. Amen. But it starts to gather these people and, uh, and put them at David's side. But it wasn't until David had already made up his mind that he knew who he was trusting in in the first place. Here's where idolatry comes in today in your life and mine. It's not wrong to have a plan. But we need to understand that our confidence is not in our plan. Our confidence is in the personage of God. It's not wrong to have security. There's nothing wrong with that. Listen, I lock my doors at night. Somebody say amen to that. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I've got, listen, I, I'm, I'm certified by the state of Tennessee to carry a little self-defense. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Amen? But at the end of the day, though God may use those things to keep me safe and protect my family, it's not those things that keep me safe. It's God that keeps me safe. 
And the same thing can be said of anything. The same thing can be said about money. You know, we're, we're told the parable about the, the uh, rich fool that goes and, and he, he, uh, God prospers him. And instead of honoring God, he, he builds bigger barns to, to put more, uh, you know, more of his goods in, more of his fruit, more of his, his uh, goods in. And then when those are, are full, he tears them down, builds bigger barns. At the end of the day, the Lord says, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. You see, the problem with that man was not that he had bigger barns. The problem with that man was he had no faith in God. God's not against us having security. But we need to understand at the end of the day that those are not the things. If Listen, if, if your social security and your retirement, if God uses that to provide for you, God bless you. He'll probably do that because God has a sense of order and logic. But don't ever forget that it's God that's keeping you fed. It's God that's keeping you safe. It's God that's providing for you. He may use those avenues, but it's Him that's doing it. And sometimes when we forget that, God takes some of those things away so that we're reminded of who it is that's providing for us. You see, God would put people in David's life later on, but it was only after David had already understood that it's in God that his soul was trusting. That is the primary source of confidence that he had. And by the way, you know, nothing changes from the beginning of the psalm to the end. Things are just as bad at the end as they are at the beginning. But David still has confidence. By verse 11, he says, or verse 10, he says, Thy mercy is great unto the heavens, thy truth unto the clouds. Verse 11, he says, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. In other words, his circumstances had not changed. But faith is not about our situation. Faith is about us being willing to place our trust in God in spite of our situation. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Just because you don't see a change in your circumstances, that don't mean it's time to give up on faith. Faith's the evidence of things not seen. Just because things haven't turned out like you hoped, that don't mean you turn away from faith. That means you double down on faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for. So in other words, his confident patience was in God. He understood things might not change overnight, but he understood God had never changed from eternity beginning to eternity end. And if God was good before, God's still good today, and God will still be good tomorrow, even if it don't look like God's being good. I think we need a confident patience. Let me say number three, we notice a covering presence that he needs. He says, yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. I thought, I thought about what this must have meant to a man sitting in a cave. No doubt that cave would have uh, provided much the same sense of atmosphere that the brooding wings of a mama hen would have provided to her chicklets. The same darkness. Maybe the same uh, feeling, sense of, of, uh, of warmth that may have been provided there. Or, or maybe even in the shadow there was some coolness. But I think there's a greater understanding, which is this that if the mountain was above him, it was also under God's wings. There's an interesting statement that's made in the Word of God. It says that we are to, uh, to place ourselves under God's providential, sovereign hand. That uh, if, uh, if we'll be uh, humble, that the Lord will exalt us and that we are placed under the shadow of his hand. Anything that enters your life or mine, if we're saved by God's grace and if we're placing our faith and trust in him, must first... Pass through God's hands before it can ever reach us. It must first go through God's uh, eyes. It must first meet with God's approval. I think the story of Job is a perfect example of this. Before Satan could ever touch Job, he had to ask God's permission first. And it's important to note that though the mountain may be above you, God's above it. 
And though you may be experiencing something you did not ask for, you are not experiencing something beyond what God's aware of. God knows what you're going through and He knows what you're experiencing. But I think also there is something going on in David's mind, which is this. He's acknowledging that no matter what may be going on around him, he is going to, in his own heart and soul, place himself under God's protective hand. He says, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. He's saying this, that he's going to find himself in the presence of God. And in being in the presence of God, he's going to find a place of refuge. I would say this, that when you can learn to be satisfied with God's presence and you'll stay in the will of God, you'll always be satisfied. If things have to be good for you to be happy, then you're not going to be happy when things are going bad. And if you're not happy when things are going bad, then the only time you're ever going to be happy is when things are going good. I don't want my life, my sense of fulfillment, contentment, and happiness to be that subject to the whims of the human experience. We already talked about earlier about, about gay Ann and Bo. You know, everything was going well yesterday and today it's in pieces. And uh, when I talked to gay Ann earlier in the phone, she talked about, you know, pray for us and we're trusting the Lord and we're, we're praying and asking God. You know that a lost person can't talk that way? I, and that's not to say if somebody talks about prayer, they're automatically saved. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is a lost person can't take confidence and encouragement in those truths. A lost person, they, they can't say everything happens for a reason because maybe not everything does happen for a reason in their life. But a saved person, they can take confidence in knowing if I'm going through something difficult and I'm walking in the will of God, God has a plan for what I'm going through. That's what David means when he says, I'm going to take my refuge. I'm going to get in God's presence and there I'm going to find satisfaction. No matter what it looks like, it's interesting that it's probably just as dark under the wings of a mama hen as it is in the midst of that cave. How's that for perspective? That he would look around at the darkness around him and say, I'm going to choose to see this as the presence of God instead of the darkness of my situation. I'm going to look around at this darkness and instead of feeling like I'm all alone, I'm going to take confidence that I'm in God's presence. I'm going to look around and instead of seeing darkness, I'm going to see God's presence all around me. I'm going to look around and I'm going to see it, instead of seeing it as, as a confining place, I'm going to see it as a covering place where God has placed me. I would say that he points to a covering presence. And then finally, and I'm done tonight, I think he points to a comforting promise. Notice the next word, until. Aren't you glad there's an until? It's not indefinite. He says, until these calamities be overpassed. I heard someone say the other day, somebody was going through a trial and affliction, and they made this statement to him, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. They said, this thing that you're going through didn't come to stay, it came to pass. And we say that all the time, man, this came to pass in my life. It came to pass. It came to pass. I don't know what you're going through, but I would promise you this. Though you may have some things that are chronic in the way of your circumstances, that if you're a child of God, that there is a better home, a better place, a better situation. There is a rest for the people of God. And whatever you're going through, it may be as temporary or more temporary or less temporary than what somebody else is going through. But for every believer, every time a tear is shed, it's always spoken and whispered with that word until. Every time there's a, there's a storm cloud that passes over our life, every time we get chased into the cave, we're reminded it's just until. Whatever's going on in your life, it won't last forever. And I don't say that just to give you encouragement. I hope it encourages you. But I say that to exhort you to have faith in God. 
Trusting God. God is going to outlast your problems. If you're saved, your salvation is going to outlast your problems. God's presence is going to outlast your problems. I'm not saying your problems are going to go away tomorrow. I'm saying that whether they go away tomorrow or in 10,000 years, God's going to be there and He's still going to be good when they do pass by. There is an end. It may not be in sight, but it is promised. And we might have to see it with the vision and eye of faith. But we do know that these things are just until, just until. And there's coming a day that these calamities are going to be overpassed. Don't lose faith. Don't, don't let the darkness drive you so deep that you give up on serving God. Don't let it drive you so far that it causes you to despair. Now, I'm not saying I'm above that. and I'm not saying you're above it. I'm just exhorting you to not let it happen, if at all possible. Uh, look up, man. Jesus is coming. Things are going to get better. God's on the throne. It may be difficult now, and I'm not pretending it's not, but I'm saying there's a better day coming. And one of these days, these calamities are going to be overpassed. Just, the songwriter said, just hold on a little longer, a little longer. And I believe that we have a sure anchor steadfast to the, uh, for the soul that we can hold on to. Let us place our faith in Him. And these things, just like the Word of God, this too shall pass. Amen? This too shall pass. Let's bow together.